Good morning, friends. Um, do you know what kind of story really impresses me? It's when I hear about someone who defeats a problem that has plagued them for a long time. Two examples come to mind. Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's. Born to an unwed teenage mother in 1932, he was soon adopted, but his adoptive mother died when he was young, and he was shuffled from one family member to the next. He quit high school and started working full-time in a restaurant, and from these humble beginnings he was able to build the Wendy's empire. Another example is Tom Monahan, founder of Domino's Pizza. He spent most of his childhood in an orphanage. He tried to become a priest but got kicked out of the seminary. In 1956, he went to enlist in the Army but joined the Marines by mistake. Talk about not paying attention to what was going on. Later, he and his brother bought a pizza store for $500. The pizza store became Domino's. When it became profitable, he opened another and then another. Fast forward about 40 years, and he sold his share in the company for $1 billion. Now, stories like this inspire me. I also think of a man by the name of Richard Koss. He was what you'd call a bad dude. At the age of 25, he had already spent nine years of his life in prison. He was a violent repeat offender destined to die an early death behind bars. But then something happened in his life. He had a heart-changing encounter with Jesus, and he was never the same. His life took a completely new direction. Even today, Richard continues to preach the gospel in the church, in churches and prisons and schools, wherever he's invited. Now, I love stories like this, stories of people who are able to turn their lives around and experience victory through the power of God. It gives me hope, and it can give you hope as well. So we all have something in common. We all go through seasons of life when things just aren't as they ought to be. Sometimes it's due to conditions beyond our control, but often it's just the result of our own bad decisions. This applies to the state of one's health, the state of one's finances or relationships or professional life. We create these situations for ourselves, and I know in my case, whenever I find myself in a pickle, it's nearly always because I'm the one who jumped into the vinegar. Now, there's a story in the book of Judges where the entire nation of Israel jumped into the vinegar, so to speak, and they made a mess of everything. You see this happen throughout the history of Israel. They abandon the law of God. They stop worshiping God as their one true God. They adopt pagan practices, and they backslide their way out of the blessing of God. Now, I don't want to get too far off the subject here, but I do want to make this point. When God stops blessing his people because of their disobedience, or when he corrects them because of their disobedience, it's not because he's some sort of a cosmic killjoy and doesn't want anybody to have any fun. This is not about what's fun. It's about what's best for his people, collectively and individually. That's why he put such a high priority on justice. He wanted his people to live in a society where justice and freedom reigned, where there was no oppression, where the poor and the helpless and the widows and the orphans were taken care of, not just cast aside. Let me give you an example. You know, the dietary requirements of the Old Testament were mainly for health reasons. He told his people not to eat pork because in those days, pig... Pigs were major carriers of trichinosis. He didn't want his people eaten up by worms. He gave specific directions, believe it or not, on how to dispose of human waste, to take it outside the living area and bury it in the ground. Now, why? Well, it's because other cultures didn't have this habit. They just let it run in the street, and as a result, most of the ancient cultures were disease-ridden. Preventing the spread of disease was another reason why he told them not to marry people of other cultures. When you study the ancient culture and get a glimpse of how they conducted society, 
what their idea of morality was, what their idea of justice was, what their idea of religion was, you can see why it was necessary for the people of Israel to be a people set apart who do not live as the pagans live. Throughout history, you see something like a roller coaster ride with the nation of Israel. They're at the top of the ride. They rebel against God. He withdraws his blessing. They suffer the consequences with a free fall to the bottom. They come to their senses. They return to God. They ascend once again to a life of blessing. And then they repeat their folly. They rebel. They fall. They repent. They return. The sad truth is I've seen this pattern not only in my life but in the lives of many people I know. Some leap into outright rebellion, but most people just lapse into kind of a cold mediocrity. It's a respectable type of rebellion where everything still looks good on the surface, but the heart is a block of ice. When, you know, when you're in this condition, you know things aren't exactly right, and you know the blessing of God doesn't reign in your life like it once did, and you begin to lose battles you should never lose, and your victories become few and far between, and you remain just religious enough to during the process to say, God, what in the world is wrong with you? I mean, what's wrong with Christianity? Am I not one of your children? Why aren't things in my life any better than this? Well, this is exactly where the people of Israel found themselves in the book of Judges. And today, I want to just take a quick look at a story from chapter 4. And if you've been in kind of a rut, losing too much and winning too little, I think this story may give you some idea about how to get back on top of things. In fact, I'm going to call my, mess, my message a win-win situation. Some of you are in a situation in which you're saying, when am I going to win? When am I going to solve the problem? When am I going to defeat the enemy? When am I going to overcome this setback? When will I win? Well, today's story answers that question. Let's take a look, starting in chapter 4, verse 1. After Ehud died, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord sold him into the hands of Jabin, a king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagayim, because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried to the Lord for help. Now I'm going to stop there for a moment, and that brings us to the first key idea that I want you to pick up on, and it's this. You will win when you decide enough is enough. And I find it amazing that this man cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years before they decided to seek help. 20 years. Now, 20 years was their limit to suffer during their rebellion before they decided to get right and get help from God. Now, what's your limit? Is it 20 years or 20 months or 20 days or 20 minutes? You know, it's your choice. If your relationship with God isn't firing on all eight cylinders, then you're the one that gets to choose when enough is enough. It's just like the story of Jonah. He could have changed the events of his life before he ran or before the ship faced a storm at sea or before he got tossed overboard or before he spent three days in the belly of a big fish. He could have decided enough is enough at any step in the process. I mean, how many times in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, people cry out, How long, O Lord? David and Solomon and Moses and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Habakkuk all ask this question, How long must I deal with this situation, O Lord? You know what? I think sometimes God asks us the same question. How long are you going to put up with this? How long are you going to run? How long will you resist? How long will you wait until you put your heart where it belongs? Now, I've known several people who were finally able to defeat long-term enemies, you know, when they just simply, you know, decided enough is enough. I mean, they said, I got to the point where I decided, you know, when the doctor told me lose weight or die, or the bank foreclosed in my house, or my wife said sober up or get out, and I knew I'd reached my limit. 
Now, do you know the wonderful thing about hitting rock bottom? You get to decide where rock bottom is going to be. You decide when enough is enough. And I'd venture to say that every person here listening is facing some kind of challenge in which you have the opportunity to say enough is enough. I'm going to do something about this. This is the decision that puts you on the road to victory. And here's the second thing I want you to see in this story. You will win when you quit caring who gets the glory. And to continue in verse 4, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you ten thousand men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops through the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Very well, Deborah said, I'll go with you, but because of the way you are going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to, now catch this, a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kiddush, where he summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. So a man named Barak enters the picture. He's a military general. He's called by Deborah, who was the judge of Israel, to get his army together and to finally act against this man, Sisera, who treated the Israelites so cruelly for so long. And how does he respond? He says, well, I'll go if you go. In other words, I'm not sure if I can win this battle without you. Now try to imagine the cultural context of this historical event. This was 3,000 years ago, not last week. Here's a man, a leader of men, a great warrior, a great mighty general, requesting a woman's help in battle. This is impressive because many leaders can't request help from anybody, especially someone with whom they have to share credit. We want to win and we want to do it all ourselves. That attitude prevents us from experiencing the fullness of the power of God. General Barak was saffy enough to know that he couldn't do it himself, that he needed help. And that was okay, because for him, getting the victory was more important than getting the glory. Now, there are three very difficult but powerful words that every believer must learn to say at some time in their life. I need help. Now, I'm not suggesting that you <clears throat> win my battles for me. I'm suggesting that we take hands and win our battles together. I help you, you help me. That's a foundational principle of Alcoholics Anonymous and other 12-step groups. We need each other. As one singer said, it takes a whole lot of help to make it on your own. Your success, your victory, your happiness is a team effort, just as it is your responsibility to contribute to the success and victory of happiness of others. The abundant life is an ego-free zone, and if you want to live there, you've got to be willing to let go of your pride, let go of your vain dreams of glory, be willing to share the credit, and ask for help when you need it. You win when victory is more important than glory, and it doesn't matter who gets the credit. And here's the third thing I want you to see. You'll win when you surround yourself with winners. And here's what I mean. Barak latched onto Deborah, not because he was a weak and cowardly general who needed a woman's help in battle, but because he recognized that the anointing of God was on this woman. He wanted her on his team, or he wanted her to be on her, he wanted to be on her team, or however you look at it. Either way, he didn't want to let Deborah out of his sight. <clears throat> now here's the principle. If you want to experience God's victory in your life, surround yourself with people who walk in victory. If you want to know God's power, surround yourself with people who know God's power. 
Now, earlier I mentioned those people who are able to achieve victory after facing lifelong challenges and setbacks. These are the best people to learn from, anyone who's overcome the odds to accomplish something great. Never underestimate the value of good influence. Spend as much time as possible in their presence. Now, one reason we repeat our failures time and time again is that we have a bad habit of listening to the wrong people time and again. To get on the track to winning, we need to get with those who have demonstrated the capacity to win. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:11, Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. He was saying, if you want to experience victory in the Christian life, then do what I do. Follow my example. Take the same path I take. If you're in a situation where you're asking, how long, O Lord? When will things get better? When will I get better? One thing to consider is, whose example do you follow? Who are you standing with? Whose team are you on? Find the person that God is blessing and get with them. It doesn't matter who gets the credit. It only matters who gets the victory. Are you in a win-win situation? Are you wondering how long it will take before you see the power of God come alive? The first question you need to ask yourself is, have I reached enough is enough yet? Or am I holding on to sin, holding on to rebellion? Am I trying to live with each foot in a different world? Or am I fully committed to what God wants to do in my life? The second question you need to ask is, have I abandoned my pride and my ego to the extent that I am willing to ask for help and willing to share credit? The third question that you need to ask is, whose side am I on, and who's on my side? Whose example do I follow, and who is influencing me? Is there a Deborah you need to latch on to, someone who knows the power of God, who experiences the blessings of God, and who can provide leadership in your life? After Deborah and Barak led the Israelite army into battle, they came face to face with Sisera, the one who had oppressed Israel for so many years. They saw his 900 iron chariots and all of his men with him. But this time it was different, and Deborah said to Barak in verse 14, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? After 20 years of trying to put God behind them, the people of Israel were now in a situation in which God was ahead of them. He had gone into battle before them. The bottom line, friends, is that you win when God enters the battlefield before you. This can only happen when you give him the proper place in your life. Look at the battles you're facing. Make this your enough is enough moment. Surrender fully to him. You know what will happen? He'll go ahead of you, and he'll bring victory into your life. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.